This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. In the book This Country, My Life in Politics and History, Chris Matthews offers a panoramic portrait of modern America through the story of his remarkable life and career. It is a story of risk and adventure, of self-reliance and service, of loyalty and friendship. It is a story driven by an abiding faith in our country. Chris Matthews is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Bobby Kennedy, A Raging Spirit, Jack Kennedy, Elusive Hero, Tip and the Gipper, When Politics Worked, Kennedy and Nixon, and Hardball. He is the former host of MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Matthews. Happy to have Chris Matthews back on this program. Welcome. Steve, thank you very much. That's a great intro. Thank you. Uh, Why did you decide to write this memoir, Chris? Well, because I've had a life that has been almost uh, serendipitous, the ability to go to places like Africa and the Peace Corps and then travel through Africa by hitchhiking, live in Israel for a while, and then able to come back to Capitol Hill and break my way into politics and see what it's like on the inside, uh, working in the Senate, in the White House, as a speechwriter to President Carter, and then as top aide to Tip O'Neill. So I saw that whole world there. And then I got to travel the world, basically, big issues, uh, covering big stories like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the first all-races election in South Africa, the Belfast uh, uh, settlement of the Troubles up there with the Good Friday Accord in 98. So I've had so many opportunities. I thought this must be a great book here, so I wrote it. <laughs> you were raised in a large Irish Catholic family in Philadelphia. What was that like? We only had four brothers, and, um, you know, my dad and mom were pretty good at teaching us after dinner at night. They are very good at... Uh, talking over public affairs, politics, et cetera, what's going on in the world, what they learned, what they experienced before World War II. We were always getting a good education at the dinner table. So that's what it was like, really. You went to the Peace Corps, you graduated, you moved to D.C., and then you just started knocking on doors on Capitol Hill. You wanted to become Ted Sorensen, as Sorensen was for Kennedy. Yeah, I wanted to be a speechwriter. And that's uh, I'm not sure why, but I always wanted to be one. I thought it was something implicitly that I thought I could do. I don't know why I thought I could do it, but I thought I could write speeches. And I began to work that trade a bit, working for Senator Moss, Frank Moss of Utah, trying to learn how to write speeches. And um, eventually I I worked uh, in the White House, and I worked my way up to speechwriter to the president. You don't hear much about Frank Moss. What was he like? Well, he was a a Mormon. He's from Utah. He was a really good guy. He had been a local district attorney in Salt Lake. He had uh, ran for the Senate and won in a very strange election, a three-way election, where he was running against a Republican incumbent, uh, Watson, and he was running against another guy who was very pro-Joe McCarthy and didn't like the incumbent senator for having led the fight to get rid of McCarthy, to censure him. So he benefited in one of those three-way races. You know, the shape of the field defines the winner, and he came out on top in, in 58, and he won again in 64, because Goldwater was holding the ticket down on the Republican side. Then he won in 70 because Nixon overdid it in his attacks on the Democrats. And so for a liberal, and he was a liberal, that was a pretty good run in Utah, which is a very conservative state. He eventually ran up against the fact that uh, conservatives realized he was a liberal. (laughs) His time was up. But he was a good guy. He was always nice to me. That's for sure. We're chatting with Chris Matthews here on Speaking of Writers. His new book is This Country, My Life in Politics and History. He's also the best-selling author of Hardball and Bobby Kennedy. You also ran for Congress uh, up against Philadelphia's old political machine. What was that political machine like? Well, it's like the old days where um, every block or two had a Democratic committeeman or a Republican committee. Actually, both. 
and that they basically controlled the vote. They controlled patronage. They controlled uh, if you had a parking ticket or whatever, they could take care of it. It was a little bit corrupt uh, in that way, but it was all based upon uh, jobs. They would provide jobs for people uh, through the machine. And so they had a lot of workers, really quite an army working for them when it came to Election Day. And uh, they basically put out what's called the Democratic ballot, which said who they endorsed, who the machine endorsed. And on one side was just numbers, of which numbers to vote for when you went to to the voting machine. So a lot of people, regular working people, would just go into the voting booth and vote the numbers. Uh, They'd vote the party line. And so it was very hard to buck up against that system. And I think there were 67 uh, wards in the city. And uh, I had to contest about 20-some of them. And uh, I had young people working for me. I had high school kids who were working the uh, election uh, stations every on election day. And we did a pretty good job. We got about a quarter of the vote, which is pretty good for somebody with no money. <laughs> and, <laughs> I thought it was, and also we ran against the idea of big money in politics. That was my theme. I think it was early on that one. And the kids loved it because I said, if you work for me, and about hundreds of kids worked for me, I said, you'd be the big shots, uh, not the people with the money, because you'd be, you'd, be, you'd be the ones working. And so we worked pretty hard for several months. You mentioned this earlier. You were a speechwriter for President Carter. What do you think President Carter's lasting legacy is now? Well, it's not great right now because, he, you know, we had a high inflation, high interest rates back then in the late 70s, and people didn't like it, nor should they. Uh, he was hit with very bad times internationally, economically. And, of course, he did bring Israel together with its number one strategic enemy at the time, Egypt. He should get credit for that historically. He did the Panama Canal Treaty. He did a number of things. He led the country to the direction of energy conservation. But he didn't have, um, I think, executive control of the, of the U.S. government the way he should have. He wasn't a great chief executive. He was very good at what he could do himself, personally. He was a very honest man. And, uh, but he never could get control of the Democratic Party, which was still liberal. He beat the liberals to be dominated, but then the liberals never really fell in love with him, nor he with them. And as a result, they basically stuck with Ted Kennedy when he challenged him in 1980 in the primaries. And I think that did a lot of damage, even before he ran against President Reagan, he ran Governor Reagan at the time. So I would say he's got a hard time in history right now, but I think everybody who worked for him is very proud of him. Very proud of his honesty, uh, his principles, and the direction he was getting the country in. Just think about proliferation of nuclear weapons. Think about human rights in the world. Think about energy conservation. I think he was one of the early people to think about climate in a different way. So I think he was a futurist, but maybe ahead of his time. And has done so much good since leaving office, too. Can you believe it? Oh, yeah. 75th wedding anniversary coming up. That line, Steve, there was a wonderful moment. Well, it wasn't wonderful, but it was poignant. Uh, the night before the election, uh, around 1 o'clock in the morning in uh, Seattle, our last stop on the campaign trail. So it was, already the, it was already the morning of election. And we got the call from our pollster, Patrick Cadell, that he would, the president was going to lose by about 10 points. He was going to get swamped. Mm. And the only thing he said to the staff, I wasn't in the cockpit or in the uh, presidential uh, compartment when he told people this. He told this to Jody Powell, his, uh, his, his press secretary. He said, don't tell Rosen. I'll have to tell her. And so he had to get back into go back to planes. We were flying back to planes. We were going to vote that morning, early morning, like at seven o'clock. And he had to tell his wife uh, that he'd lost. Yeah. And that must have been brutal. Mm, very, very tough because they were in that together for all those years. 
You then were the chief of staff for the legendary, and I mean legendary, Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill. What was Tip O'Neill like in that experience for you? Well, he was a tough partisan. He was a Democrat all the way, a liberal, what we, what we call a progressive today. He was uh, smart, very smart, very politically smart. He had won like 50 straight elections and primaries by the time I went to work for him. He'd been in politics since he was at Boston College as a city councilman in Cambridge. And he, um, he, he wanted to win all the time, but he also was willing to make deals with Reagan on Social Security, on tax reform, on helping Reagan end the Cold War, on Northern Ireland even. They did some secret uh, alliances there. And so he was a tough partisan, but he was always looking for the deal if, he, if there could be one, if there's a way to make a deal. I think that's what separates him from the politicians today who are only now desperately trying to make a deal on infrastructure, but doing it in a very desperate way. You know, it's almost like last chance saloon. If they don't do this, it's not going to look good two, four years. Chris, what would you like readers to take away from this book? I'd like to think that they would uh, fall in love again with our system. And we've been holding elections since uh, the late 18th century. We've been electing our presidents every four years, our Congress every two years. We, we've got bragging rights on that. Um, I worry now, though, that we are in perilous shape with regard to our democracy. Back when I first took an interest in politics, when I was like six years old, I remember watching newsreel, those old-time newsreels they used to show at the movie theater. And my dad was sitting to my right, and I, I saw a general getting on a plane. I said, Dad, is he president? Is he, they were playing it up like he was a big man. He said, nobody will be. I don't think, we've, I don't think we do as well right now in trusting our leaders the way we trusted Eisenhower. And that sense of confidence, there wasn't any doubt he, doubt he was president of the United States. There was nobody arguing legitimacy or questioning his election or anything like that. We, never, we couldn't have imagined people storming the Capitol building back in the 50s. You know, in in terms of the media, we had Walter Cronkite, the world's country's most trusted leader, most trusted newsman. I don't think we have have anybody competing for that job today. It's all partisan. And it's all about finding something to fight about, finding a grievance you can work, uh, red meat for the left or the right to get angry about. And I do worry about it when we have a country where – Two-thirds of the people think our democracy is in peril right now. When you can have a general actually saying that we should have a military coup like they had in Myanmar. Myanmar. And I wonder, and that was like a one-day story. It was just taken for granted. Mm. And now we've got three in ten Republicans who believe that this president, the past president, will be reinstated August 1st this year. It's not going to happen, but they believe that. We, have, we don't have a common set of facts anymore, let alone opinions. And I worry. And my question is, like it says, the past is prologue at the National Archives. What is what's going on today a prologue to? Where is this taking us, this division, this nasty division? Is it going to get worse or better? Because it's going to, something's going to happen. And if you look at all the history of the riot in the Capitol, the desecration of our cathedral democracy, you see all that. And you see people questioning elections. And, you know, we can no longer look down at countries like Zimbabwe where the the losers always say the election was rigged. And the winners, like in Pakistan, where they start hanging people, hanging the losers. You know, there's a whiff of that in the country today of not respect for democracy. And I think it's a problem. We've got to worry about that. And I'd like people who come out of my book to say, you know, we've had a good since the 18, 18, uh, 1780s. You know, let's try to get back on that track again.
The great John Meacham said about your book, this absorbing memoir reminds us that travail in our politics and in our culture is perennial, and so is hope and light and faith. This grand book is a personal story that resonates far beyond the life of a single man and one that should be read and long remembered. Chris Matthews, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Steve. It's great to be on. And the book, again, is This Country, My Life in Politics and History. The author is Chris Matthews. And this is Speaking of Writers.